Welcome to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm your host, Emily Trenum. Memphis Metropolis is all about our city as an urban place, including its neighborhoods, buildings, pathways, and parks, as well as the people who shape it. Join us each week as community leaders and commentators talk with me about our shared built environment. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm Emily Trenum, your host. And this week, we are talking about the 25th anniversary of the V&E Green Line in the VECA neighborhood. And my guest is Dennis Ostro, who is a volunteer and board member for the Green Line. So welcome, Dennis. Good morning, Emily, and thanks for having me. So, so Dennis First, let's just tell, I've done a couple of shows about the VECA neighborhood in the past, different things, but let's remind us where the VECA neighborhood is just in relation to the whole city. Sure. So VECA is located in Midtown and it's, it's borders essentially on the west is Watkins slash Cleveland Street. And on the east, it's Springdale Avenue. Uh, which is kind of near uh, East Parkway. And then on the north, it's bordered by Ballantyne Street. And on the south, it's bordered by North Parkway. Okay, great. I used to live in that neighborhood. So not only am I very familiar with it, but I'm very fond of it. So, and if and if people, if anyone is interested in more about the VECA neighborhood, I actually did a show several months back about the, VECA becoming a landmarks district, a local right. landmarks district, had a couple of guests on, and that was very interesting. So if anyone's interested, they can go back either on the Memphis Metropolis website or on the podcast, their their podcast player, if that's how they're listening to it, and, and, and find that show and listen to it if you're interested in more about the VECA neighborhood. And we also did a show about the historic Barrenhurst Synagogue, which is also in Very that nice. neighborhood and the and the desire for the community to have that redeveloped in a a way that's compatible with the neighborhood and also just what a, a very cool building it is you know Vecca just has all kinds of, of interesting assets we're going to talk about that today so one of the you know there's of course the last several years there's been a lot of really the last probably five years or ten years even there's been a tremendous amount of activity in sort of around, you know, greenways right. here in Memphis, the Shelby Farms Green Line opened. And of course, last week, actually on the show, we talked a little bit about um, how resilient Shelby County is. And we talked about the regional green print, which was a plan. And people are familiar with, especially Shelby Farms Greenway, the Wolf River Greenway, people are familiar right. with that. But but one of the cool things about the V&E Green Line is that it was the first. And you know, ever before all these other people came out and built their fancy green lines, the V&E Green Line was there first, which I think is just really, it's just, a, we're going to talk about a testament to community activity and just also just want people to know someone was first pretty much. And it was the V&E Green Line. So, so where is the, so where is the V&E Green Line? Like sort of whether it's, whether it's, you know, the, the beginning and the end and sure. uh, and then also you know kind of how it got started um 25 years ago 
So the B&E Green Line uh, runs from east to west, starting at Springdale Street, uh, right after you um, cross Valentine onto Springdale, and it runs in a westerly direction all the way to Crosstown Concourse. Um, it actually stops prior to the overpass that runs over North Parkway. Okay. And um, it, it, it was an abandoned old L&N railroad line that um, originally serviced the Sears building when Crosstown was the Sears building. Right. And in 1980, uh, the railroad, L&N Railroad, abandoned the railroad line. Uh, Sears had left and they saw no further need for the rail service. They abandoned it. And in 1982, they pulled up all the, the rails and they let it go. Unfortunately, they took no interest in maintaining it whatsoever. It became quite overrun. Uh, the VECA organization at the time, I think they were a CDC actually, um, they approached the city and asked the city to purchase it. And the city uh, denied their request. Uh, they didn't want to take it on at all. And that was in the 1983 timeframe. And by then, the, the rail line had become quite overgrown and was neglected in a very bad way. And um, so in the early 90s, 91-92, VECA organized a committee to look into what it would take to purchase the property. By 1992, the, the, the rail line was practically impassable. Um, a lot of trash was getting dumped. They were having some instances of assault or... or um, nefarious activity for lack of a better word and um, the residents were concerned so in 95 they put together a steering committee and approached the railroad about what it would take to purchase the property and uh, they followed through with that and also applied for a grant to support the uh, cost of purchasing the property in 94 Late 95, they were awarded the grant. The railroad agreed to sell the property, and hence the Valentine Evergreen Green Line was established as Memphis's first uh, green line. That's it's amazing. I mean, the the of course that's you know there's it's part of a whole effort you see around the country called Rails to Trails, um, where you know at one time there was a, a you know just more freight and passenger rail activity, especially on these minor lines. And Shelby Farms Green Line also is a rails to trails project. Yeah. And Correct. so I can, you can only imagine when a railroad goes through your backyard, of course, it's probably intrusive in a way, but at the same time, once it stops, you've got, I'm sure people dump and I'm, um, you know, all kinds of overgrowth and then animals and right. like you said people can go back in there and walk up and down and so there's a security issue i'm sure on some level it was you know blighting influence oh without a doubt the the photos i've seen uh, so i've only been involved in the green line since moving here in 2015 but i've gone through and looked at all the old photos from back in the day even when the railroad was established 
And while the railroad did a, a fairly well job, you know, while they were running the trains and maintaining it, you still had the periphery, you know, like you do with any railroad, you know, the, the beer cans, the soda cans, the, the little trash, where it really became the issue was when they just gave up and the train stopped running. And that's when it really uh, deteriorated. So the... Um... So we're going to, I want to talk a little bit later about how the Green Line is completely, you know, volunteer, really owned and managed, which is incredible. But what, but do you know, I know you weren't here at the time, but do you know was, I mean, cleaning that up must have been, was that all done by volunteers or was there additional grant funding to have, um, I'm sure. So there was, correct. It, it, However, it was all volunteers. Some of the grant money was used to uh, rent the equipment necessary for that, some small graders and backhoes and things like that. But even then, volunteers were operating the equipment or they would have an, uh, a, a construction company that would volunteer their manpower to run the equipment. But it truly was a, a total volunteer effort. That's uh, amazing. It, yeah. Because, you know, when you think about it, I mean, I'm a big volunteer and like, there's no way I would, <laughs> I would do that. There's a limit. Right. It was, and, I mean, it didn't happen overnight. It it was every bit of three years of dedicated work by numerous volunteers to get the land just cleared. You know, that, that wasn't even inclusive of, of, of establishing the plantings, the trees, you know, addressing the roadbed surface. That was just getting the 1.8 miles, you know, at at least some manageable um, condition. And if um, people, if people don't, know, if people don't know, I mean, and have never been out, I encourage people to go up there and check it out. And it's, but it's not paved; it's kind of a soft gravel almost surface. And so it's main. It seems to to me, you know, it's primarily walkers and people families riding but there's some people riding their bikes you certainly can use it that way right the the surface primarily what you see of the surface now is is not all that together that much different than it was when they cleared it it's mostly the road the railroad bed which is like you noticed you noted a hard packed gravel um and then in areas where we've had some erosion and stuff we come in and, and address the trail issues with crush and run and compact that. So it's a very amenable walking surface. As a matter of fact, we've had numerous uh, users of the trail that have told us, please don't ever pave it. Um, because for runners, it's ideal. And, and we do have a, a significant amount of bicycle users. Um, and again, for the same reasons, you know, uh, you can ride a mountain bike or you can ride a road bike on it. It's that hard pack. So, so Dennis, let's, um, you know, of course we're, we're, this is an audio show and we don't have the benefit of a lot of visuals. So let's, let's just pretend we're taking a walk. Sure. Um, uh, let's start at Springdale, okay. uh, the eastmost edge. So let's take a walk. So if we're starting there, I mean, it's all kinds of things. So let's walk down there sure. and, I think and, and point out to me some of the things that we would see on the as we go along in the different parts absolutely so so as you walk west in a westerly direction from springdale the first thing i think you're going to notice is the dense canopy uh springdale is probably the 
the most dense canopy we have on the whole trail. Tree, tree canopy. Tree canopy, that's correct. Uh, very filtered sunlight. It doesn't catch a lot of direct sunlight at all. Uh, and as you continue walking west, you'll cross a uh, drainage catch basin that is the city of Memphis's that crosses over that. And of course the railroad built the abutment that runs over that. As you continue about a third of the way into Springdale, you'll notice to your left uh, a, a 50 foot long retaining wall. Um, that it was constructed by volunteers of the Green Line to prevent the railroad bed from eroding. Uh, there had been significant erosion in that section. And so 25 years ago, it was erected. And actually three years ago, we had to replace it because the timbers had rotted. So that's a pretty good lifespan for a, for a retaining wall. 20 for sure. Yeah. So as you continue down Springdale, again, the, the most significant feature is, is the dense canopy, the tree canopy, until you get to where the trail, uh, where the Springdale section ends, also referred to as the Springs, at, at uh, Jackson Street. Uh, as you cross over Jackson to University, the trail picks back up, and University parallels the backside of Rhodes College along with some of the neighborhoods along Barksdale Street. Uh, again, uh, uh, very uh, prominent tree canopy. Uh, and as you walk down University, uh, we, we were fortunate, and I don't know who did it, unfortunately, but someone had the foresight to put a, about halfway down the, that section on the left-hand side, someone put a set of stairs to allow uh, access from Barksdale Avenue. It's about a 20-foot rise. So um, the volunteers that did that, uh, it was not an easy task. <laughs> and as you continue down that section, you'll come to uh, McLean Street and you'll cross McLean. And now you are in the garden section of what I like to call the meat of the trail. Um, this section runs from McLean to Auburndale Street. As you stroll down there, again, I, I hate to keep repeating myself, but the canopy is, is quite unique. It's, it's one of my favorite features of, of the trail. Um, as you walk about a third of the way down, you'll see um, garden area on the left-hand side. And one of the original volunteers, Mary Wilder, that was the first established feature of the Green Line in 1990. Flower garden and sh and shade tree. I mean, shade plants and that kind of thing. Correct. And then off to the left uh, or off to the right, you'll see some old flatbed uh, antique memorabilia that Mary's installed. And and then you continue down to Auburndale. And at the end of Auburndale on the left hand side, there's also another planter bed there of significance that uh, neighbors from that area maintain. And so you cross Auburndale onto the Lick Creek section. And this is one of the two most unique sections of the trail. Um, there's a bridge on this section that when the railroad left, they took it out. So the trail was not contiguous in 1996. Okay. You actually had to leave the trail to go to Tutwiler, walk around Lick Creek, and then back up to the trail at Dickinson. And, and the same with the Keeler section further down, that bridge was also removed. Well, in 2000, Keeler Ironworks donated the bridge for Lick Creek. And then in 2003, they did another bridge at Keeler Catch Basin 
And that was the first time in 2003 that the trail was able to be walked as one contiguous trail. That's amazing. So if you're just joining us, you're listening to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. And I'm talking to Dennis Ostro, and we're talking about the 25th anniversary of the V&E Green Line. So, okay, so continue on. We just took a little break from our walk. And um, yeah, that's very cool that the, the the bridges were donated. And wasn't one of the bridges just modified to make it easier for dogs to walk on? Did I imagine yes, it that? It was. The Keeler Bridge that crosses the Keeler Catch Basin um, was made out of um, aluminum. And it, and it was great for human traffic. Uh, they were little rectangles with uh, traction on them. However, for our, our four-legged four friends, uh, they were very uh, reluctant to cross that. So we put a 12-inch um, wide uh, treated lumber board down the middle so that our four-legged friends can cross without hurting their paws. That's great. <laughs> okay, so, so we just crossed Lick Creek. So what's next? So what's next is, is a little section between Dickinson and Tutwiler. And, and also there's some art. I, I, I apologize. Before you leave the Lick Creek section, if you look to your left, you'll see four fish on poles. Wow. Um, that was done by a local artist. And my apologies, I don't recall her name. But that was done in 2005 and donated. And um, it's quite a unique piece. I've seen numerous photographs published in various locations, Memphis Flyer, uh, the Daily Memphian, along with um, Nextdoor app um, that highlight those fish. So as you cross over uh, Tutwiler, the first thing that's gonna, that you're going to see as you resume the trail on the south side of Tutwiler is the station house. What's the station house? Well, for the longest time, uh, all the equipment that we use to maintain the green line was housed at various people's homes and uh, Good Shepherd Church afforded us a garage. Uh, they determined that that was not gonna be feasible as the needs of trail maintenance increased. So in 2003, um, they did some research and they built a station house that replicated what the old train station house looked like across Americana. It's a 45 by 25 foot building and it houses all of the equipment that we use to maintain the Green Line. Tractors, lawnmowers, riding lawnmowers, uh, trailers, all, all the tools, everything is housed there in a centralized location. It makes it so much easier for the volunteers. And, and that's called Kirby Station in honor of Dr. Mike Kirby who was one of the founding members of the group that established the Green Line. Yeah, I know Mike very well. He's uh, very dedicated in his leadership of that effort over many, many years. He most certainly is. And, and he retired from the Green Line um, a year ago this past January. Primarily, he had some health concerns, but also um, COVID was impacting everyone. And uh, as I'm sure everyone knows, that in the heart of it, everyone was reluctant to expose themselves, and and so he and he he shepherded this program for a long time, and he turned it over to the rest of us, I guess, for lack of a better word. Okay, uh, that's still great. involved, but um, you know, taking a step back. 
Okay, so so let's continue on. Sure. We we pass the station house, yep. which is yeah, which is very cool. Of course, it's you know it's a railroad, so it makes perfect it makes perfect sense to have a station house to hold all the equipment. And also, we should say that the uh, V and E Art Walk is coming up right. in a couple of weeks. Remind me what the dates of that are. October 9th. Okay. From Ten to six, and, and it's that, on the that's a, a very fun event. Um, it's just a very low key neighborhood event. It's a fundraiser for the Green Line, and um, and it's right at the station house. It's where the event takes place. So if you have a, if people in the audience haven't been out to that, I highly recommend it. It is happening this year, I believe. That's correct. Anyway, okay, so we digress. Sure. So no, you 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 cross the trail at Avalon, and now you're on the Keeler section. Again, um, this is one of the areas where there's not a lot of canopy. This is one of the few areas, the station house section and the Keeler section, where there's not a lot of canopy, and primarily that's due to the residential uh, residents and residential homes on the, on the south side. Uh, there's just no trees there, and and we have a very finite space in which we can plant. Uh, you'll cross over the Keeler Bridge again, which I mentioned previously was donated, and you'll continue down um, to Stonewall Street. And, uh, and and this is probably what I like to think of as one of the most unique sections of the uh, of the of the trail. Uh, you walk down Stonewall, you have a pretty heavy canopy uh, from the first half of the trail, uh, and then as you clear the canopy, and you you have Crosstown in your foresight which since that's been redeveloped is is been a, a very advent uh i don't i don't know we're very advantageous for the green line having crosstown now a viable entity and then you'll come upon three sculptures uh, what do we what do you unique. call them? what do you what do you call those they're so they're called the blue kids okay and in 2011 uh, Rhodes College art class approached the Green Line for doing an art project. And there are originally five of them though. Um, three of them were retained on the Green Line and two went to original founding members' backyards. <laughs> but they're, they're quite unique. Um, they are 2011, so this is their 10th anniversary. And um, we were gonna have, we were going to have an event celebrating their birthday. Unfortunately, we had a vandal um, set fire to one of the blue kids. I read about that. Yeah, and um, however, we were very fortunate in that a a young man by the name of Cade Banbury, who worked for a company that does that type of work, volunteered his services. And Blue Kid number two is currently in repair. Uh, we expect them back in about two weeks and we'll have a birthday celebration upon his arrival. That's amazing. So, and I don't know whether we've quote unquote passed this or not, but there's another really cool piece of public art, which is sort of like a giant outdoor xylophone that you can play. Correct. Um, where is that? Isn't that in that same so area? That's in the. That's actually back at the station house area. Okay. And if as you're walking the trail, you'll have the station house on your immediate left, and on the right, there's what we call a memorial garden. And at the end of that memorial garden, right there before you hit Avalon Street, a donor 
uh, back in 2000, and I want to say it was 2007 or eight, donated three musical instruments and, and two benches. They built and tuned the xylophone out of wood, and we installed it right there at the trail. And, and the amount of use that gets uh, on, a, on a daily basis, not only by children, by adults who come by and will plink on it. Oh, I've done that for sure. Um, and then there's there's one new piece of art um, that we installed this uh, this year, as a matter of fact. We had the dedication back in April. There, uh, an Yvonne Bobo sculpture uh, right at the station house, as you approach the station house close to Cutweiler Street, is about a 20-foot-tall sculpture uh, by Yvonne Bobo dedicated to Mike Kirby's wife, who was one of the founding members who passed away suddenly in January. And uh, it's quite the unique piece, completely made out of stainless steel, represented, uh, representing a uh, clematis. And uh, I would strongly recommend if you get the chance to take a look at it. It's very ir iridescent, changes, in the, changes colors in the sunlight. It's quite unique. I haven't been up there to see that yet, but of course, Yvonne Bobo is such a talented artist. I'm sure it's gorgeous. She is. She's done several pro projects for us over the years. So were we at the end? Have We, we were at the end. Okay. Um, you're standing there at the Blue Kids looking west across the bridge to Crosstown Concourse. So I know that this, this may be outside of the V&E Green Line's uh, scope. I'm not really sure, but um, Crosstown is has purchased an additional right-of-way, right? And so the, and it's going to extend the green line actually to the to the concourse. Is that right? That's the idea. So Crosstown Concourse actually owns that bridge. And we've been in dialogue with them with regards to ownership and, and extending the green line all the way from that bridge to Watkins Street. Unfortunately, um, much of that property is owned by the city and it's what they call a well lot, which for in MLGW terms means any piece of that property at any time could be used to drill a well if needed. So there's been some uh, reluctance uh, on MLGW's part to give up uh, that space to, to either pave it or gravel it due to concerns while well, we may have to dig it up and, and, drop a well but but that's still ongoing where we've got our fingers crossed we're hopeful it'll come to fruition because once you leave the bridge it's essentially a grassy area until you get the walking street yeah well that would be amazing if people all those people who lived at the concourse or people that worked could just go out on their right. lunch break and just immediately access it and it, you know i'm a big one of the great things about you know green lines generally is the opportunity for greater connectivity between right. neighborhoods for transportation for recreation and so that would be that little stretch would be a big enhancement i feel like um if if uh, it was able to happen so fingers crossed about that thank you we're certainly trying we're engaging our local representatives and city government and hopefully it'll come to fruition so dennis um Last question. I want to circle back to the um, to the volunteer piece, which we've touched sure. on a number of times, just because that is just so unique. I mean, this 
this is a major urban amenity and it's just so unique that it would be completely i mean it's owned by the community of course through the through the nonprofit but it's completely managed and maintained by volunteers so just elaborate on how that works because sure. that's that's a big yeah. undertaking it's 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 quite involved so there's an entity called the Valentine Evergreen Green Line Community Corporation that actually holds the property and then they have subsequently um, authorized Becca's Green Line Committee to maintain the Green Line. And Becca is our fiduciary for raising all the funds associated with maintaining the Green Line. We have a committee, a sub a committee of Becca that is responsible for all the decisions associated with the Green Line, uh, whether that's to add artists, art, art, art or or determine budgets and expenditures for trail maintenance. That's about, there's about 18 members on the committee. Out of those 18 members, there's about 12 that are what I call core volunteers. Those are the people that we had that, that routinely uh, cut grass, do, do uh, trimming of the, the brush and all of that. And then of course, there's the community volunteers. Um, and we hold a number of events. We have a, a, what we call a second Saturday event. It's a family friendly, friendly help maintain the trail cleanup event that we hold on the second Saturday of every month. And then we have routine calls for volunteers as projects arise. For instance, some of the uh, brushes extremely quick growing that we just couldn't maintain without a whole cast of characters. And we get many volunteers um, through what an organization called Volunteer Odyssey. And that's, we just joined with them about two years ago, but we, we have been fortunate. And just this year alone, we've had over 150 volunteers sign that's up. That's amazing. Well, probably also, you know, you can get school groups and correct, um, you know, different volunteer, but, but I mean, think about that, even just like you said, the mowing, I mean, right. um, not just, I mean, I think a lot of us have gone out to, in their neighborhoods to do cleanups periodically, but I mean, it's like your, your lawn. I mean, someone's got to mow it regularly. I'm sure there's kudzu and. Um, oh, never ending. <laughs> so what about, um, I'm sure from time to time, there's security concerns. I mean, you know, like Shelby Farns Green Line, they actually have you know, police officers ride up and down on bicycles. And so how do you, um, I mean, do you have partnerships or sure. how do you, how does that get addressed? So, so from a security perspective, um, we, we interface regularly with MPD, Memphis Police Department. Um, and, and while they don't do directed patrols, they are in the area a, a reasonable amount of time. But one of the, I think one of the biggest things we've done in the past two years, we added what they call 911 locator signs to the Green Line. And every section has at least one. There's eight of them placed throughout the Green Line. But what they are is we work with the city of Memphis 911 office and actually put the map points for these signs in their database and then erected signs on the Green Line. And so there's a sign that will say B&E Green Line 901. So if you have an incident, whether you fall and need an ambulance or, or you have a, a security incident, you can give them that 911 locator sign number without having to give them an address. 
because the trail runs through so many different neighborhoods. You don't really know where you're at. But having these 911 locator signs, you call 911, you give them that number, they know right where you are at. That's a great idea. We're looking for potential lighting of some nature. It's just, we just kicked it off. And, and so I, I, I don't know where that's going to go, but we're looking at, at, at potentially some solar lighting to get some more illumination on the trail. That's a great idea. And of course, there's been so many enhancements over the years. But one thing I wanted to mention that I'm just now remembering is that I believe a couple of years ago, VECA got a grant to um, make the green line more accessible for wheelchairs. That's correct. Um, it was back in 2016. Richie Smith Associates, who's a very well-known architect in, in Memphis, uh, put together all the plans for that. And we, there was a grant received. And so all of the accesses from the streets at the various breaks in the trail are now handicapped accessible. Um, that was a big, big deal because up to that point, you had standard curves at every entrance, at every trail entrance section. So we had inadvertently eliminated access to a fair number of, of people that would have enjoyed the green line had we not done that. Well, plus strollers. I mean, right. um, you don't have to be in a wheelchair to appreciate that um, that enhancement right. for sure and one of the last things or not one of the last things but one of the things i would like to note uh we're all in the throng of covid right now and um so we took uh intentional effort to do some trail use surveys and as a side note our trail usage by person is up 150 percent over a normal year since wow. covid came into being in january of 20. Um, obviously that's a great thing, but it also brings, you know, maintenance responsibilities along with that. So, um, it's great. I live, I literally, my front yard faces the green line between McLean and, and Auburndale. And I enjoy nothing more than sitting on my porch and watching the increased number of users on the trail. Well, I'm definitely going, I'm not surprised at all. I think, you know, parks and greenways in Memphis. I mean, when you think about it, during, especially in the beginning of the lockdown, I mean, right. that's all we could do. Correct. I think I've never, and I like to walk. I mean, I'm a frequent walk taker. I never took more walks in my life right. because I had to get out of the house. <laughs> and and, that, and was, that was much of what we heard. I mean, we actually set up a table at various points at various times. And, and not only did we count the years, but we also surveyed them. You know, we wanted to know, you know, has their usage increased, decreased? Um, what, what, you know, we asked them for three main things they'd like to see with respect to the trail. You know, do you want more art? How's the trail surface? So we're very uh, in tune and, and take into account our user base with respect to what we do on the trail. It's not ours. Uh, from you ask anyone in, 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 in the organization, uh, whose trail is it? And, and not a single person will tell you it's the committees. Every one of them will tell you it's VECA's and the cities. Because that's, you know, if we don't have the people, um, we don't have the trail. As you noted, we're volunteer supported. We have no outside money from the city, county, 
Uh, everything's done by donation. And as you previously mentioned, our art walk event. So, um, uh, and the community has been good to us. Well, I'm going to definitely, you know, for people who listen on the pot to the show as a podcast, you know, there's, and I can put some show notes in. I'm definitely going to put a link to the, um, to the webpage. And I mean, it's a, I'm personally a donor to the green line. And one of the reasons is because I don't have that much money to give. And I appreciate the fact that, that it's volunteer. It's you know, it's a neighborhood amenity. It's volunteer led, and I know where my money's going. I mean, it's great to. You can to, see where your money's going every you day. See, <laughs> yes, you. I can see where my money's going. That's that's exactly right. So, um, so anyway, hopefully people will, um, if they haven't experienced it, get out and check it out. It's a great time of year to and 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 come to the art walk as well. So, so. I've been, you've been listening to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. And we've been talking about the V&E Green Line, which is celebrating its 25th anniversary this year. I've been talking to Dennis Ostro, who's a volunteer and a board member. So Dennis, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me, Emily. And um, I hope your audience will take advantage of the opportunity to get out on the Green Line. I do too, for sure. You're listening to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. Have you checked out any of WYXR's other shows? You can see the whole program guide on our website at wyxr.org. And while you're there, please consider making a donation. We're a brand new station lifting up everything Memphis, and we need your support. But don't go away. Stay tuned for the rest of the show. Welcome to the second half of Memphis Metropolis, everybody. You're listening to WYXR 91.7 FM. We're talking about the 25th anniversary of the V&E Green Line in the VECA neighborhood. And this part of the show, I've got Cole Bradley here. Cole is Memphis Metropolis's in-house anthropologist and is one of our regular commentators. So welcome back, Cole. Thanks for having me back. I'm excited. Thank you. So, Cole, um, let's just... I want to. What I want to talk about for a few minutes is go up to the thirty thousand foot level and talk a little bit about green. There's been a lot of development of green lines, greenways in Memphis, and there's some exciting ones in the pipeline. Wanted to talk about some of the different benefits they bring to the community and then to neighborhoods. But just before we do that, what what I mean, what reflections did you have on my interview with Dennis Ostro, who's uh, from from VECA and is a leader in the in the V&E Green Line project? I think the big takeaway is that communities who want assets like these uh, have to go at it themselves in some in a lot of cases. You know, you have to. At the minimum, while it can be a pooling of resources and maybe you solicit public funding, grants, whatever, there's still got to be that drive by the community members, by the neighborhood to seek out that asset, build it up, and then maintain it too. I mean, obviously on V&A Greenline, they did literally everything, including that retaining wall to me, I think is a, is real 
uh, interesting because that, I mean, that takes actual smarts to know how to do that. That's not just clearing brush. I mean, you got to do that right. And still they had to, they had to lead that charge. That's the biggest takeaway. And I think the other big takeaway uh, uh, for not just V and E, but all green lines to me is that they're a really great reclaiming of unused space that can't be really used for much of anything else. And so, you know, just being able to take back a vacant asset when, especially in communities that maybe don't have as much space as like a park or just sit, you can't plop a park down, but maybe you can find an old abandoned railroad track and reclaim that. Very cool. Very cool. I agree. So I was reflecting a little on the, you know, as I said, I sort of think about you know, greenways, green lines can be very beneficial to the community. Kind of, I think of them as kind of two buckets. And there's, of course, there's there's some that that fit into both the community benefit and the neighborhood benefit. A community, I'm thinking Memphis and Shelby County generally. But I wanted to do, do a, a, I made a couple little lists, and I wanted to do a little bit of a lightning round and just tick some of those off and let you react to them. So, so okay. starting with community-wide benefits to greenways and to to a, a green line network. The first community-wide benefit is really expanding transportation options. Absolutely. Of course they do. Not only do they, you know, create spaces for leisure transportation, right, exercise, things like that, but for everyday transportation to get to works and schools, et cetera, and I think the important thing to remember here is that protected bike ped paths are the way to go, right? When we protect those bike ped paths, we reduce our number of pedestrian strikes. We reduce our number of bike strikes. And as we, uh, unfortunately, you and I are both well aware, uh, you know, we hit some record numbers last year with bike, with pedestrian strikes. And so, yeah, providing not just a uh, dedicated route for transportation that's not just car transportation, but safe and um, protected, important, very important. Well, and I think an important aspect of that is not only when the green lines and greenways intersect, but ha- where they connect with other infrastructure so people have complete routes. I'm thinking about the, the HAMP line, which, yes. you know, took, takes people from the end of Shelby Farms Green Line to Overton Park and then beyond through a protected bike lane. And so, you know, so as a community, it's not just about, it's not enough to have the green lines. You need to have the connecting pieces. So it's, I mean, people do commute using, you know, using those and especially Shelby Farms Green Line, which is paved, but the, um, Anyway, I, that's important, sort of c- plugging into the to the rest of the infrastructure. And I also think it's cool talking about community, right? This isn't necessarily about Memphis community, but the biking community. So our bike trails here, many of our bike trails here, because we are doing such a good job as a city uh, interconnecting these various bike paths and ped paths, we're now most of the system, a lot of the system, I'll say, let me not say most, uh, a lot of the system is hooked into that. What is it like 3000 miles, seven states uh, trail that runs the Mississippi river. And so as a result, someone who is a, a bike, a bike enthusiast, a biking enthusiast, who's from three, four states away 
might be able to come and traverse a good portion of Memphis, learn about our culture, uh, bring their tourist dollars uh, through our bike paths. So yeah, super important for culture and community. So the second community-wide benefit I was thinking about was connectivity and particularly connecting different neighborhoods and parts of town through one, you know, one facility. Yeah. You know, I think, okay, so, you know, I'm a big traveler. I love to travel. I've been over most of the country at this point. I think I'm at 41 or two states out of the 50 states that I've been to. And uh, I prefer when I'm in a new city to walk it. And the reason I prefer to do that is because you just, you learn a city differently when you walk it. You learn a neighborhood differently. You meet people. You see them on the sidewalks. So you get a feel for the architecture and, and truly what a, what does the community truly look, feel, smell like? I mean, there's just so much more sensory stuff that you can access when you're connected through uh, safe walking spaces, right, and, and bike spaces. And so I think when we're talking about connectivity, sure, we're talking about physical connectivity, right? Physically being able to traverse from one neighborhood to a next. But I think more importantly to me uh, is is that community aspect. A neighbor from North Memphis can theoretically run into a neighbor from South Memphis, from East Memphis, and all the way from even West Memphis now with Big River Crossing, right? right. And you can run into people from all over these quadrants of the city uh, through our bike and pedestrian paths. And I think that's really cool, especially when you consider a lot of Memphians don't travel into parts of Memphis that are not their neighborhoods that they live or work in. Well, and I was thinking, um, you know, the Shelby Farms Green Line, which of course is the green line that, you know, was the, the most well-known. That is a, a great example because it really starts in the heart of Binghampton and you can ride it through East Memphis all the way out to Cordova and, it's being extended even farther than that. And that is also going to be extended into Toby Park eventually. So just a great, you know, cutting through a whole bunch of neighborhoods. And then Wolf River Greenway, when it's connected, of course, starts at, in a mud island, goes through all of those North Memphis neighborhoods, goes through a part of East Memphis, goes out to Germantown and Collierville. So to me, those two facilities I mean, even the V&E Green Line, which we talked about earlier, you know, the neighborhoods along there, you know, Springdale and the neighborhoods along there are different. That's that's a, a you know, probably a, a more nuanced variety of neighbor of neighborhood differences. But um, I think that's an important aspect of um, these projects. Yeah, I, I love the idea of being able to pick a, a, one of the longer green lines like Wolf River, like Shelby Farms Green Line. And riding the entire way. And it, it, you really do get this sort of slice, mini slices of Memphis. Uh, and we're, I think in a lot of ways, it's a blessing and a curse. Uh, if you know the history, you understand why it's a curse. But it's also a blessing that we have so many unique neighborhoods with neighborhood identities and cultures and uh, looks and feels. And I love the idea of being able to just ride and get this slice here and the next slice there and really get a feel for what truly is Memphis. And that's the diversity of the city, right? Right. For sure. So another benefit um, I want to talk about for a minute is community health. 
because there is a connection between access to these facilities and health. Sure. Well, it's an it's, the connection is to having access to safe uh, green spaces, whatever those green spaces might be. And so, again, I'll say parks are not feasible for every community. Parks are not uh, available for every community. These green lines, I think, are are just another opportunity to provide yet another type of green space. These linear parks, right? Uh, like the Heights has a linear park or is working right. on the Heights line linear park, uh, which is a greenway, essentially. It's a green line, essentially. And shape matters. Sometimes you can fit something like this where you can't fit anything else. And so just however many opportunities that folks have, of course, I think the health aspect is sort of a no-brainer. You know, the one thing I wanted to add to that is just the, and you sort of alluded to this, was these are facilities for exercise, for people to walk and to bike and to, so the, when the regional green print plan was developed several years ago, they actually did a health equity assessment and connected, you know, were able to measure what the projected, some of the projected health outcomes were with, if the plan were to be built out. So definitely a lot of health benefits. So um, the last couple community benefits, I well, well, first of all, let me just say this. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Memphis Metropolis and WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm talking to Cole Bradley, and we're talking about the community and then neighborhood benefits to green lines and greenways. And the first half of the show we talked about specifically the, the V&E Greenway, which is having its 25th anniversary. So, Cole, a couple of things I just wanted to mention. We don't really have time to talk about them. One is just economic development, because definitely there are economic development benefits to, you know, their talent attractors, of course, you know, real estate values sometimes increase, which as you know, we've talked many times before, that can be a double-edged sword, but they're for sure, their economic development benefits to these projects. Another one I just wanted to mention is, you know, protection of the environment and open space. And I don't, just only reason I didn't want to elaborate was last week, I did a show on resilience and we talked specifically about, you know, projects like the Wolf River Greenway, and helping make room for the water. And so, so I feel like I covered that quite a bit last week. So, so I want to move on to the, some of the neighborhood level benefits that accrue to these projects. And the first one, well, we talked a little bit already about options, options for recreation at the neighborhood level. But another one is just, um, and you alluded this earlier, is, you know, building community. Public spaces are critical for that. They're equalizers in a lot of ways. You don't have to have a lot of money. You don't have to have status. You don't have to look a certain way or act a certain way necessarily within reason, right? Uh, and you can participate. You can be in this space together. And also neighbors, particularly when it comes to neighborhood uh, green spaces like like V&E Green Line, right? That really is kind of more of a neighborhood green line uh, more than it is a big kind of regional or um, area-wide like the Shelby Farms Green Line. That when neighbors can come together in a public space like that, 
it's, I mean, that's the, the ideal setting to build community, right? You can have picnics or walkathons or cleanup days or what have you that create these bonds uh, of cohesion and solidarity and, and ownership, group ownership. And those things are critical for neighborhood development. They're critical for beloved communities, well, and I think you hit on a very important thing that makes, you know, VECA unique, which is ownership. I mean, they, you know, through the nonprofit, they literally own it and they have to maintain it. There's not, you know, most of these facilities are maintained by a public entity. And of course, for good reason, a lot of times, but they really have ownership of it. It's not just, yeah. it's not just sort of theoretical taking ownership of a problem. It's like they really right. <laughs> have taken ownership of it. So, and I do think that makes more blue. I mean, you have people in, um, lots of people in that neighborhood who have volunteered for the entire 25 years of the, of the, it is impressive. It is impressive. So the last thing that, um, I wanted to talk, well, actually not the last thing, but the last benefit that I wanted to talk about was education. And I was thinking in particular about kids, because when I did that little metaphorical walk, of course, there was lots of things that a kids or family along the way could see that they would could learn about. One thing that kids in Memphis, I think, get an opportunity to have that a lot of kids in large urban centers don't get is time in green spaces. Memphis is an incredibly green city has been for decades now considered and ranked as a very green in terms of the amount of park space, green lines, et cetera, that we have. And I think that's really critical for kids. It's really important that they climb trees and breathe fresh air and learn how to interact with their neighbors, learn how to interact with the environment, learn how to interact with um, animals that they might encounter. And so there's that sort of cultural and community learning. But then obviously you can turn any day on a green line into an actual learning experience. Do that. I remember as a kid, did you ever do those etch the leaf etchings where you would take yes. a leaf and then etch it, you know, yeah. doing that sort of activity, uh, how many animals or how many bugs can you identify? Things like that turns turns this this pathway into a classroom, essentially. So yeah, they're critical for that too. And I think it's important that the kids do, for the sake of a lifetime love of learning, it's important that kids do learn that learning can happen in their environment anywhere and around them. Well, plus the art. I mean, a lot of people don't have the ability to go to art museums. There's public art along there. There's the xylophone, you know, there's the musical yes. instruments and there's and, the gardens. Yes. It's just, it's just a lot of things you can, maybe enrichment's a better word than sort of learning, which sounds kind of boring, but, um, but a lot of different experiences along the way that can be very rewarding. And I do think those, um, that delivers benefits at the neighborhood level for people that are using it. And hey, it's free. Parents always love a free thing to do with their kids. Kids are expensive. It's nice to do a free thing with them. That's what I hear. Yeah. (laughs) So, so Cole, really the last thing I wanted just to touch on very briefly, um, we don't have a lot of time is there's a couple of projects 
that are in the hopper that people might not know about. One is the Chelsea Green Line, yes. which is also a Rails to Trails project that's going to actually run from, um, I think it runs from Evergreen along Chelsea, also down to downtown. Mm-hmm. And maybe to, I think it terminates at Washington Park, which is that park in that's Uptown. Correct. Yeah, that, that is you and correct. I have been to. And I think that's really in the very beginning planning stages, but that's going to be very cool. And from a connectivity perspective, that actually connects to Wolf River Greenway, but it's directly through a number of those North Memphis neighborhoods that we know and love. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. And I also, I think Washington Park, Wash Park is uh, a really nice kind of underdeveloped but nice park that yeah. I think will get a lot more love when that green line finally hits the end. And so I'm looking forward to seeing that development for that community. There's also just a lot of new development going in down on that this sort of hat of uptown, right up against the river on front and on well on second street, uh kind of near Chelsea. And like, so, that's not that's enough district project. Yeah, and and everything else that's going on down there. I mean, it just looks very different than it did even just a year ago. And so I think that it's going to be more utilized on that end than even five years ago would have predicted. But I also think, again, for the transportation aspect, as we know, North Memphis, a lot of community members struggle with personal transportation. They do not have personal transportation or reliable personal transportation. And so, again, adding any new uh, transportation options up there that are safe is a good idea. There are very few even bus lines that run through North Memphis. Um, The Hollywood bus line, and I think there's one other, Jackson, I think, maybe Chelsea. But so adding any more transportation options up there is good, too, although... I will always say the focus really should be on a better public transportation system as far as busing is concerned. But still, they're all important pieces to this puzzle. You know what? We can have both. Yeah. They're all important pieces to the puzzle. Absolutely. And the other one I wanted to mention, this one is not quite as far along, but uh, a green line in South Memphis that starts um, where the, actually kind of behind where the work CDC is. And it's not, I don't think it's a former rail line, but I think it's a, a right of way of some kind, maybe a utility right away. And so I think it starts in that sort of South Parkway, Bellevue area more or less and cuts Southwest for a couple of miles. I think that's also, they're doing some environmental engineering studies. I don't think there's as much happening on that. They haven't done a lot of community engagement yet, but that's also in the hopper and in the pipeline. So I think that's ultimately going to be very excited. And I just circling back to Chelsea for a minute, actually noticed that Mayor Strickland had put money for the Chelsea Green Line in his Accelerate Memphis investment bucket. So Good. Which is great. Yeah, that's great. You know, those projects, even if you get federal or state money for those kind of projects, which are very expensive, they always require a local match. So two two projects that are not quite as well known, uh, but will probably be similar to V&E Green Line in the sense that there are going to be you know neighborhood amenities connecting into the whole regional green print, but um, but really things that are going to be impactful at the neighborhood level. I think that's great. I hadn't heard about the one in South Memphis. I'm really happy to hear about that one. I'm glad I learned something new on this. It's very exciting. You've been listening to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm Emily Trenum. Memphis Metropolis airs every Monday at 1, so please tune in again next week. 
You can listen to past programs on our program page at wyxr.org or on memphismetropolis.com. You can also follow us and send feedback on social media. Now, stay tuned for Memphis Undercover with Nancy.